Welcome back to Living Through Tech. In this episode, we will be talking with Perina Madan. She is a Quality Assurance Manager at Morningstar. She received her bachelor's degree in computer science from Amenity School of Engineering and Technology. She also received her master's degree in software engineering from Loyola University, Chicago. I had the pleasure to meet Perina through a program that we are both doing here in Chicago. It is the Women Influence Chicago Accelerator Program from the Illinois Tech Association. I look forward to having Perina share her experiences as a quality assurance manager and her journey in tech. So without further ado, please help me welcome Perina. Hey Perina, how are you? I'm good, Jimena. How are you doing? I'm doing good. We also have Jono. How are you, Jono? Hey, everyone. Good. Hey, it's another Jono. day. Hello. Yeah, how's, it, how's your day going on, Jimena and Jonathan? It's going. I ha- It's raining here in Chicago right now, and I have a dog school. I got to figure out the walk. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's going well in Seattle as well. I'm in the middle of a move. I was telling him under this, so we all love moving. It's very stressful. <laughs> and Seattle, it's always raining, right? There's never yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I like Seattle somehow more than Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. There's definitely some nice place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today was a good day. We also had a. Um, a forum for a program that Perina and I are part of, and it is a accelerator program that comes of ITA here in 1871, and it's for women in tech. I wanted to mention that because that's how I met Perina, but I haven't got had the chance to actually get to know you more, so that's why I wanted to invite you and kind of understand what we're did you start your career or what is like the origin of your story into technology? Sure. Okay. So let me give a little bit of my background first, and then, you know, we'll jump into the origin of the technology. Sam Farina, um, quality assurance manager in Morningstar. And I had actually moved from India seven years back. Um, I did my bachelor's in computer science. So that's where my interest lies more into the technology. Then I moved to US, did my master's and you know, joined Morningstar. So in US, Morningstar was my first company. I joined as a QA engineer. And when I was doing master's, I was doing in software engineering. So again, an inclination towards technology, right? Um, so I always you know, thought of having a blend between technology um, and having a mindset of product as well. So you know, when, you're, when you're a quality assurance engineer, you need to know the product well, and that's why you can apply that skills to uh, your testing as well. So I like that flavor of both technology and product, and that's how you know I chose this career to be in the QA engineer role. So six, six years back, started as QA engineer, moved as a QA team lead, um, and then as a QA manager. So it's been around three years I've moved into a QA manager role. Um, you know, and I've always been keen into trying something new that can make your life better. So, you know, anything new that comes in technology that we can enhance in the QA side that can help us or remove some bottlenecks. So, you know, that's how I've been always inclined towards technology. 
Um, thank you. That's a really awesome kind of origin story. It's yeah. definitely come a long way from India. Mm-hmm. I think at least on, on my end, you know, we have QA engineers um, on our team as well, but when you're kind of like first getting into technology, QA engineer versus like a software engineer, um, the differences might not be so clear. Um, do you mind going through a little bit about like what QA does differently than what like a normal software engineer would do? Yeah, so QA, as you know, it's quality assurance. They are actually testing the feature that's going into the production. Um, they are the last savers for releasing a feature to production environment, right? Um, so that's where the difference comes in from the development side. Developers are more focused around the, the way they code and they test their methods. It's more in the isolation, whereas in QA side, it's more like end-to-end testing. So having that product knowledge understanding how just one feature impacts the other features is really important for the quality assurance engineers. And that's where the role comes in, right? Which is a bit different from developers. And you will mostly hear from developers saying that, oh, QAs can catch the bug. QAs can catch the bug, right? Because we are the last people. Whereas I feel that quality is something comes, you know, it should be owned by everyone and not just the QA engineers. So it just starts from the requirement space down to development, then testing and then releasing to production. Yeah, I, that's something that I have seen where people kind of like, oh, QA will figure it out, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm just guilty. Maybe <laughs> being the, the last person at the gate before the product gets shipped, right? Right, right. And it's really hard for a QA, right? Like if you just miss out one thing, you're literally being blamed about it. Oh, why did you miss that? Or question, not even blame, like question, why did we miss that, right? Whereas I feel that we are also humans, we're bound to miss few things. So that's where, you know, I've been focusing in the team that, you know, focusing with the leadership team that quality should be owned by everyone. And, you know, we should be treated as first-class citizens and not like the second-class citizens. So that's where I've been doing a lot of um, talks with the leadership team so that, you know, our quality assurance team as a whole feels a little confident and, you know, their, their morale is high. Yeah, you mentioned that you are a QA manager, right? Yep. How do you as a manager empower your QA engineers to be kind of vocal when they see a bug or when they need to send something back to the developer? How do you empower them to make that move? I guess the first thing I do is that they have my support, right? So I, if they go and talk to a developer about a bug, right? There are sometimes pushback, but What I've seen in the team is that developers are really appreciative of the bugs. They really like bugs so they can solve those bugs, right? Um, So that's where I've been providing the support so that, you know, if something happens, I'm there to answer it, you know, or I'm there to talk to them. And so I keep telling them is that take risks, you know, learn from your failures and celebrate your failures, basically. 
everybody celebrates wins, but celebrate failures as well. So that's, that's my message to them. And so that's how they feel confident in working with the development team or in general doing some innovations or taking some risks that they know may or may not work. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I really like celebrating failures because like, I feel like when you celebrate a failure, it almost seems like a win sometimes because you always learn something from that. So it's like, oh, kind of winning something anyway. Yeah. I mean, everybody likes to celebrate for wins, but why not for failures, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm like, I don't know how your experience has been. Do you want to real quick talk about your experience, Yona? How do you see, like, do you usually work with the QA engineers? Yeah. So I'm all aboard that one vision type train of like everyone's pushing towards that one goal. Um, I really hate the idea of throwing things over the wall to QA. Um, so I think like coming from, from my end, I love working really closely with QA and having that kind of uh, flow of communication because I think that's really important to have. It's really important, yeah. That's, that's really nice. Come on, how's your experience been with the developers? It has been good at some point points and sometimes it, it, it can be a little painful because it's like no it works on my machine right like that famous line of like it works on my machine so what's wrong there right but sometimes like I dealt with that today where like the developer kind of helped me figure it out past that that line of it works here so why isn't it working so I think like once you get past that point of like it's not personal it's not at a personal level it's more of like that building this together, um, mm -hmm. I think like it has been great um, to get like moving with the product. So it, it, at some points it is painful, but it, it makes communication better sometimes. I agree, yeah. I guess you just learn how to work with them, right? Yeah, and you figure out ways how to deal with some situations. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's like, if there's one skill that you could teach any kind of newbie, newbie coming into technology, it's just to communicate, I think. Yeah. That's Com like so important. Right. Communicate. And I feel that, you know, um, for a newbie at least, they should be willing to take more ownership, more responsibilities, be more proactive than being reactive. I think one of the things I've learned in my career is that when I was, when I started as a QA engineer, right, I used to be too reactive, reactive in the sense like, you know, somebody, a client reported a bug, and then I used to react, but I never thought about, okay, what could I have done before to stop this from happening? So that's where it comes around being more pro proactive. You can try it like when, when you're young, right, and you just start your career, I would say, take as much of responsibilities as you can. Of course, you don't need to hamper your personal life, but you learn from that, basically. The more you learn, the more you'll grow in your career. And yeah, what advice would you give early career engineers, whether it is technical or like the soft skills side that are looking to get into tech? So the so you know, if anybody who wants to get into technology, I would say that um, spend some time on a project that interests you more, okay? 
spend some time, some spend few months if you can, choose one of the programming language and um, do complete development of that project. That's how you will learn it. You know, people can teach you. The only way you can learn is try yourself. And so if, you re if you're really, really passionate about moving into technology, start from there. And, you know, I've seen that works a lot. People who try themselves, master in one of the programming language, they go a long way. And again, that person should be willing to actually try out different technology as well and being up to date on what's happening, right? Like you've probably heard AWS is the latest thing, right? Everybody talks about AWS. So, you know, you can just have your own personal account in AWS that's not that expensive and you can play around, right? Play around with AWS, put your, um, you know, have your project move into AWS, build some sort of continuous deployment pipeline. You know, that's how you will start gaining interest towards technology. And once you gain interest, there is no looking back. And the sooner you start that, the better it is. Like in my career, though I did bachelor's in computer science and master's, but I wasn't that focused. And the focus came in when I started my career, but that, you know, sometimes it's too late. The sooner you can start, the better it is. So, if, you know, I've built that now, I've built that habit of learning, learning, learning myself. Um, and, you know, just being into the technology side, because, you know, you have endless opportunities in technology. So if you want to move into a product role at some point, having that technology background really helps a lot. That's great advice. I feel like there's so much stuff to learn. This is, this is kind of like my issue and one of the issues I'm having currently is um, I'm interested in a lot of stuff. And yeah. I don't know what to focus on. And then you try and find like that balance between how deep should I go versus how wide should I go? Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? I guess you need to pick one thing, right? Just choose your battles, what you really want to do. And then start from there and complete till the end. You know, don't leave it in between. At the end, you may realize this is not your interest, but that's fine. At least you realize at the end, this is not your interest, right? I think if you just leave it in the middle, everything, you're just landing up nowhere. So one of the things like I, when I work with the QA team, they start something for like some innovation. For example, we were planning to dockerize our frameworks, our automation framework. They started, but they did not complete because they felt that, you know, um, it's too tricky, it's too complicated. You know, I would not be able to complete it. I guess you'll always, think that unless you complete it, right? And it might take few months, it might take a year or it might take a few days, but get it done, have that focus. Take out some time. One of the things I keep hearing, we don't have time to learn, you know? You'll never have time, you know? You, you, you just have so much time in a day. You have to choose your battles. You have to plan it out that way. I keep telling everyone, you have nine hours in a day to work, take out one hour in learning, at least one hour in learning and trying something that is going to benefit you in your career force and of course the company as well. I really like that phrase of picking your own battles, right? Um, I felt the pain when you were just talking about Docker. Yeah. That worked, that was my pain today. I couldn't figure out how like, to get my SSH into Docker because 
hard, right? So I was trying to learn that. Mm -hmm. So was trying to like work on an automation scenario. And I was just like, can I get one of them to work? Like, just focus, Jimena, just focus. So pick your battles, which one's better, right? For me today, it would have been Docker. Yeah. yeah. You have to choose your battles. Going back to your career and you, how far you come along after getting um, your bachelor's and your master's, what challenges did you face either getting into tech like the interview process or once you started right because you became a QA engineer then a lead and then a manager challenges did you face so to start with like if I go back to my career in India one of the challenges I faced being a woman right like you do not have as much of opportunities as men have, you know, then that's a reality, right? And there was a pay parity difference between men and women. So that was one of the biggest challenges I faced back in India, okay? But the culture was different and, you know, you were okay with what, what you were getting. When I moved to US, you know, I did my master's, I got a different perspective where I saw that, you know, people, everybody is equal, right? So then I entered into this company, Morningstar. Um, and when I started my QA career here in the US and Morningstar, one of the challenges, as I said, is that we were treated as second-class citizens and not as first-class citizens. So that was my biggest challenge. Um, everything was left under QA to figure out at the end, like questioning why did we get these bugs? Why didn't QA catch it earlier in the phase, right? These were some of the hard questions which I still have to face, right? Um, and then again, there was, how do I move up the ladder where I know there are a lot of men who are in the leadership team, right? And that's where I had to uh, figure out a way on how to move up the ladder. And the, the, the one way that I thought would work for me and that worked was basically taking more and more responsibilities. I'm probably working more than the men in, the, um, in, in my uh, company, like some of them, like I feel I'm working more, but I guess I learned from it, you know? And that shows to the people who really value my skills that yes, she's taking more responsibility, she's learning, and you know, she's willing and she can grow in her career. So there's two challenges. One was um, treating as a second class citizen. And then the second was that always saying that QA is a bottleneck. You know, QA, there's a QA capacity issue. And so the way, you know, I figured that challenge was basically coming up with the data. So each time people tell me, oh, QA is a bottleneck. You know, I'm like, okay, let's figure out the data behind this. If really QA is a bottleneck or not, I would say 99% of the time QA is not a bottleneck. You know, we've usually seen that uh, the developers are sending tickets late to QAs for testing. You know, um, there are sometimes back and forth in the ticket because QAs are finding bugs. So those are some of the two challenges that I have to face. Um, and, you know, I've been just trying to overcome by providing data. And the other challenge was what I mentioned was pay parity, but, you know, I've overcome that. So, you know, I'm trying to advocate more for myself and my team 
um, so that, you know, I can get what I need. And I know I deserve that, you know? So that's where I feel, and I've seen that, Himena, like, you know, you've been seeing in, in our women conference that most of the women are not able to advocate for themselves. And that's where the challenge comes in, right? Yeah, I, we were talking earlier about celebrating those challenges and failures, right? But also ch shout out to you, right? Celebrate those wins because from my little experience in engineering, I haven't come across a manager of color or a man, like in, especially a women manager of color, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's nice to see from an early engineer like in my career to see that like there is a path forward yeah um so you you also serve as that inspiration and that resiliency to keep going no matter like even if it took more work right your company noticed that being noticeable by your company says a lot because no matter how hard you work sometimes a company will not even care true true i agree And I think one of the things in my company and Jimena, you and I, we were chatting some time back is that Morningstar, they really, really focus on career growth of everyone, be it, you know, it, it doesn't matter what color, you know, you are, oh, it's just diverse company. Um, so they really focus on your career. And so I feel I've learned a lot from that, right? Like even for the people who report to me, I make sure their career is enhanced in some way or the other. And it also depends on, you know, your manager as well. If your manager really sees you're doing, you're doing a great job, then of course they will advocate for you as well. So I guess I've just been lucky in Morningstar to have um, the man managers who support me and, you know, they see my value. And of course, Morningstar, you know, enhancing my career as well. Of course, there's a lot of hard work required from my side too. So it, it's just a blend of everything. As like a manager now, do you have advice for other managers? I'm, I'm not sure if managers will listen to the show, but do you have advice for like other managers um, in terms of advocating or supporting women in tech or people of color? I just have one suggestion for the women managers right like you, you're specifically saying about women managers or any managers in general any any managers in general i would assume that like this is more of like a company kind of systemic kind of issue as opposed to like potentially just a single one-off manager mm -hmm. yeah i would suggest that all managers um they should really really advocate women more in technology Um, you know, I can guarantee women work much harder. <laughs> you know, I've seen that. Um, and uh, you know, we should advocate for them. And I feel that what I've seen is that when you advocate for a woman in technology, you build that trust level and they actually stick with you for a long time. And they really want to work with you for, for a long time. And that connection goes on. So I think that's really needed. I have In my team, I have women, um, you know, in technology, and I see that trust level between me and them. And, you know, that's how they are going and growing and they help me to grow as well. So it's like a partnership, right? Um, and I feel that goes a long way. That's awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it gives a sense of a community too. That's the energy that I was getting right now when you were talking. Uh, also having that, like you, the manager could be your mentor and guiding you t- through whether it's a promotion or yeah. career advice, you know? Yeah, 100%. I agree, man. Yeah. Yeah, so that that is good to to see that a company notices, but also that like the managers are advocating for employees. At the end of the day, you really need that. Like you cannot keep advocating for yourself. You need people to advocate for you, right? And it could be managers, it could be your peers, it could be people reporting to you who, you know, you need people. And the only way they will advocate for you is you're really doing, you know, you you are being a role model for them, basically. Yeah, 100%. I think it's surprising how, like how many other people you need to kind of uh, influence to help yourself grow. Like it's really hard to grow in a company just by yourself. Like you need others around you and you need that mentor. You need that yeah, manager. for sure. Yeah. I think specifically from women I've seen, you need to work harder, you know, to have people support you. I don't know, Jimena, if you feel the same thing, but I felt that. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking back and I have talked to a couple of people that probably listen to this podcast about my promotion when I went through it. It was it was just uh, out of this, like out of my mind, right? It, there was a lot, but I did like the people that I had in my team advocating for me kind of were not being listen to at that company either so there wasn't much that they as individual contributors could do for me um it was more from upper management that like it wasn't happening but i came to the realization of like there's better places to work at my career doesn't say anything if i'm not getting promoted as long as i'm doing the work that i'm doing and getting good code out the door and making sure that we have some coverage i'm happy with that yeah yeah i guess i've seen this as well that sometimes people feel that women cannot do good in technology um you know that that sort of mentality people have that maybe women cannot do great in technology whereas i've seen some great some women doing really excellent in technology side like they are running big, big teams and, you know, so they're doing really well in their career. Yeah. I have seen even during interviews, one of like the, the most, I feel like the most approachable happen to be women. Yes. And so it's because they have that mothering nature to them. (laughs) And during interviews, it's more that women are more friendly at least. Right. And Jono, this is nothing against men. (laughs) <laughs> totally get it. Totally get it. I've seen that stereotype too. <laughs> Sorry, don't you're making it more women-centric. <laughs> That's totally fine. Honestly, like all for it. I, I think this is an important topic and more women should be in tech. Yep, I agree. 100%. So what, um, like thinking back on your career now, what would you do differently? Or is there anything that you would change? Um, one thing I would do differently is that I have been um, 
I'm not even good at that now. I should probably improve is that I don't take feedback constructively. And that's where I feel that if I, from the beginning of my career, if I would have taken feedback constructively, I would have probably gone a long way. And, you know, there is always this human thing where you get defensive when you get any feedback. And, and I'm not great at that even now. But, you know, the one thing that I've started changing is asking all the people who report to me is give me feedback. So let's not make it like a one-way feedback. Let's make it as a two-way feedback. You know, and I've also asked my managers, like, give me more feedback. Give me more feedback. Like, for some time, I don't feel good. Like, why is this person saying this to me? But I guess when you think about it more, you realize, okay, this is probably something that you could have done it differently. And then you learn from it and you don't repeat that again. So that's where I felt, you know, I could have changed it, um, you know, done that bit differently. Yeah, I agree with you. I have, I, I sometimes take it too personal and I feel like that's when I build my relationship with the developers. And I'll go back to that point of, taking that criticism as not personal yes when it is constructive criticism take it to the point of like it's just to better myself and learn yes yes exactly I agree the other thing I feel is I could have done differently was whenever you know people come to me and say QA is a bottleneck you know I used to say directly no to them and get defensive I think what I've done changed now is that I provide data. So like I collect data so I can show them that, you know, that's not the reality. You know, there's, there's other areas which needs to be improved and not the QA side. So that's where, you know, early in my career, I wasn't doing it the way I should be, but now, you know, I've learned it the hard way to provide data for everything. Nice. And do you do the same thing when you give feedback to like your reports as well? You just like are more data driven? Um, yes, okay. I, I really like that approach of data driven. So whenever I give them feedback, I try to get some data, um, more realistic data. Now, if I hear something from someone, you know, somebody said that, oh, this person is not doing a great job, but that person doesn't have a data, I will not give that feedback to my direct reports. And the way I will give the feedback to them would be more in empathetic way and not like, you know, you're not doing a great job. So as I said, like, you know, we learn from our failures and we celebrate our failures. And that's, that's how I like it. Yeah, I'm all for celebrating both. Yep. Mm -hmm. The failures because you learn and you're like, oh, I, I could have cut that. Yeah. And and the wins because that's when you tap, uh, pat yourself on the back and you you grab those win winning moments and keep going pushing forward yep i agree yeah that's how it should be what exciting things are you currently working on so some of the exciting things we're working on dockerizing our frameworks we want to reduce dependency on the virtual machines um, because the virtual machines is basically maintained by one centralized Morningstar team. And each time they do some IT maintenance, 
all of our applications get wiped off. So we have to reinstall. So instead of depending on them, we are dockerizing our framework. I think we're almost done with that. The next step now, next year, we would be focusing on would be moving into AWS. So having our automation as part of the code build and making it as part of the code deployment. So we have started some initial preparation for that, but next year we, went, we want to go at like full fledged. The other exciting work we are doing this we are doing this year is basically our performance testing. Like so, what we've done is that we built some scripts using Load Runner on the UI and Jamier on the backend, and now we are working on integrating with our deployment pipeline, so that you know we have a check if the performance is going beyond this uh, limit beyond this tech mark, then you know, we have to stop the build. We have to improve the performance. So that's, that's something new that we are doing. And um, you know, I, I don't quite see that as part of every QA group. I don't know, Jimena, if you, know, if you guys are already doing that, but at least in, in, in Morningstar, I haven't seen teams who are making performance actively as part of the deployment pipeline. We are super, well, not super early in the startup phase, right? But it's, it's. I would say in the next couple of years, that might be considered. Yeah, we're at the point in my company where like, we know we should be doing this, but we're not doing it. <laughs> That's how you, you know you always feel, right, Jonah? Like even yeah. for us, you know, we kept saying, oh, performance, something we can just keep it. But like, if you see if you like access Amazon, right? Like, wouldn't you want that application to be faster, right? So why not our applications too? Like if you look from the end customer perspective, you wouldn't like to use an application which is probably taking seconds to load, right? So, you know, keeping that user experience, you know, in your mind really helps to drive the team. 100%. And like, as a developer, and this goes back to the question of the statement of um, it works on my machine, but like, I'll run something locally and it's like, cool, this runs really fast. And then I just never realized that at some point, there's probably going to be lots of people using it at one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for one user, it works fine. Yeah, I agree. I wanted to point out something important that you mentioned. It's that user perspective. And I think that as QA engineers or leads or managers and it's it's kind of our job to also look at that uh on top like have that on top of our head how is this going to impact the flow of the user and how mm -hmm. can i make it better yes yes i 100 percent agree and one of the things you know what i like is that i just go and randomly check some websites who, who are basically competitors of Morningstar because I'm working in Morningstar, right? And I see their experience, you know? And it, it's a different feeling when you, you're like basically a third person just accessing their website, right? And then you compare it with your application and then you see the difference. So, you know, it's always good to get that perspective an outside perspective into your team as well that, can we also leverage this as part of our technology, you know? Um, so those things really help as well, yeah. So user mindset is really, really needed. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. I am very interested to see 
kind of the outcomes of all these like exciting things in Morningstar. Um, I'm not sure if you're able to write about it, but like, you know, where could people like find you or hear more about what you're doing? So people can find me in LinkedIn. That's the uh, number one thing now. People everywhere, everyone is in LinkedIn. And, you know, once you find me in LinkedIn, my name is Purina Madan. Um, you know, it's pretty straightforward. I work in Morningstar. So it's, I'm the only one. I'm the only Purina in Morningstar. So you'll be- We can have the link as well. Yes, definitely. I'll share the link with you. And yeah, you can find more about Morningstar there. And, you know, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, feel free to connect me through LinkedIn. One last question before we let you go. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? So my goal for next two years is to become the director. Now, it could be director of quality assurance or it could be director of technology. And, you know, I've been trying to work, work towards that. I'm actually trying to work towards the director of technology role. So I'm taking more ownership on coming up with the tech debt items for our team, prioritizing that and working with a product team to add it in the roadmap. And the way I'm doing it is basically showcasing that what benefits we can get out of these if we remove these bottlenecks from our day-to-day life and how can we move faster, right? It's all about moving faster, right? Build features, deploy it and release it so that clients can get those features faster. But you can only do that if your technology is, technology stack is strong and it's up to date. So that's my next two year goal. Well, best of luck to you. I, I personally look forward to seeing you become director of technology because I know you will get there. Um, I'll be following your social media <laughs> to make sure that you, that you do get there. Yes, thank you so much, Amena. Thanks a lot. I was like, I'm really hoping that like, I really hope the director um, roadmap works out because that's going to be, it's, it's going to be so awesome if you get like director. Yeah. When, yeah. when you get director, I should say. Then I, <laughs> if it's too of time. <laughs> Thank you, Purina, for joining us today on this episode of Living Through Tech. We look forward to following your journey as you become a director of technology. To our listeners, thank you for your continued support. We have added Purina's LinkedIn to the podcast notes for an easy find. Thanks, everyone.